Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. All right, welcome everybody to a new episode of the Monthly Movie Dispatch. This is going to be our May episode of 2018, going over some of the movies that came out this summer and some other indies that we've seen. So uh, let's first talk about who's recording this episode. Uh, we've got Brandon Bowlby in New York City. Hey, guys. And Derek Deal in Seattle. That's me. And I'm Nick Moffat, so uh, let's get going. First of all, uh, Brandon, what's going on? How has your month of May been going with movies? Uh, so good. I've been seeing so many movies, but I'm a little bit out of control and I think I need to slow down and calm down after this. Yeah. I mean, you've seen what, like nine or 10 movies that came out in 2018, just this month. I've seen 13 movies that have came out this this month. Well, no, no, sorry. Paddington was earlier this year. Um, but still like that was a 2018 movie that, right. Yeah, you saw this I've, month. Yeah, I've seen like a movie every other day, and almost all of them have been movies from 2018. Gosh, well, you've really shown me up. I mean, I've I've been watching almost a movie every day, but just a lot of older movies. I must have watched eight movies that came out in the 70s. In fact, real quick, I watched two movies that came out in the 70s that took place in San Francisco, directed by Don Siegel, starring Clint Eastwood. Mm. Whoa. Can you name either of them? None. Dirty Harry. Right. And... Uh, no, that's it. Escape from Alcatraz is the other one. Oh. But, oh, yeah, I've seen like, that movie. Which was better. Yeah. Oh, definitely Dirty Harry. Like, I also I also watched The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and you know I grew up with Clint Eastwood as an old man always. And after watching The Good, The Bad, The Ugly and Dirty Harry in the same month, I realized just really how pure, pure, amazing Clint Eastwood is. He's just one of the coolest people that has ever lived. And uh, yeah, like just Dirty Harry absolutely s- stood up and. It was amazing and violent and awesome, and The Good and the Bad Ugly was one of the best Westerns I've ever seen. Can't wait to watch Once Upon a Time in America with you. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty excited for that. We got to watch that next time you come and visit. Is that a Clint Eastwood movie or just a Sergio Leone movie? Sergio Leone. I see. Yeah, that one takes place in New York City. Um, takes place in, like, what, the 40s or something? Yeah, it takes place, like, 30s, 40s, 50s, this huge, like, four-hour epic movie. I literally just heard about it, and I haven't met anyone who's ever seen it. And so I'm, like, super hyped about finally checking out this movie. I want to watch it. Well, maybe we'll invite you. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of big throwbacks, I continued my Tarkovsky run and um, saw a screening of Stalker. Uh, down here nice. in West Village. You actually saw it in the theater? Yeah, I saw it from like 9 p.m. to midnight on a Sunday. There were so many like NYU students in there. The theater was packed. I thought I was going to be like the only one there. Wow. Uh, the movie was uh, it was really fun seeing it with that crowd and being in a theater. I think that's one of the first times I've gone and seen like a super old movie in a like indie cinema, and it was actually really cool. I want to try to do that more often. I know it's something you've been doing. 
Yeah, I definitely have seen a few this year. It's it's really fun seeing old movies in the theater. I actually just got Stalker from the library. So hopefully Ooh. I'll be watching the next week or so. Enjoy. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Godspeed. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Derek, what's going on with you? How's your life? Uh, it's going okay. I've been, I think I'm on a kind of a slow stride watching movies. Just been seeing kind of the big big blockbusters that have been coming out but st- even that like i feel like i've been going to the theater every week but um yeah and you've been going strong before this too so you're still like way ahead of it yeah i wanted to bring up avengers infinity war again because after last episode i was the most down on it and i couldn't tell if i was kind of being worked in that you're it's not a feel-good movie and I didn't feel good about it, so I didn't know if that was kind of part of the point. And I had a bunch of other complaints, but you know, after talking to you guys, I had kind of a sneaking suspicion that I would like it more after the second viewing. So I kind of wanted to bring it back up and tell you guys that I saw it again. And just as I suspected, that is what happened. I definitely enjoyed it a lot more. Um, I think that for me, the movie... Like, so much happened in it, and it's just it was just kind of an overwhelming experience with all the characters doing so much and having the movie move so quickly that it was kind of hard for me to take in everything that was happening. I just felt that a lot of it was surface level, and we didn't really get a lot of the character moments, and the action was just okay. But... I mean, as it turns out, like I, I, after the second viewing and after knowing where the movie goes, I, I was able to really just sit back and just kind of enjoy it. And there were, I, fe- I feel like there were a lot of great character moments, a lot of really fun interactions between characters. And, you know, Thor was probably my favorite. I felt like he was on his own sort of solo movie the whole time. And there was a lot of great Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man moments. And I do think that part of it is that it's not supposed to be a feel-good movie. So it being a downer, I was more okay with. But... Man, it was also like a lot funnier the second time than I remember seeing the first time. Like the first time, I didn't, hardly thought it was funny at all. I was just like, "Man, this movie is just like sad." Just the way it starts and the way it ends. I'm just man, this is a whole bummer of a movie. But I mean, it still is a bummer. But there was also a lot of hilarious moments that I've been quoting all month. It was a lot more casually funny than I think. Even their their last two Captain America movies. Even on those ones, I felt like, especially Civil War, I felt like the humor was kind of shoehorned in. And while it might have like made you smile, like it was kind of, I don't know, some of it was like, it's just dumb. It didn't really make any sense. But in Infinity War, it actually all felt really like natural humor. And I think it's just because we got a lot more character interactions that we haven't had in the other films. Right. And I feel like it was actually really well paced. I, I actually think that, you know, even though they had. 20 characters that they were all trying to have their moments with. I feel like eh, they actually balanced it really well. And yeah, the movie moves pretty quick, but it kind of balances moving quick and giving a fair amount of time to each character. And yes, some characters get the short strew, but maybe in the next movie they'll get more time. So yeah, I think like this film's greatest feat might've been how freaking good it is considering its scope and considering they made it from like script to theaters in two years like it's this massive freaking movie 
this seems like it would be so hard to put together and so hard to make it work in any way. And it actually works really well. And they had like a faster turnaround than I think they had between their last two movies. It's crazy to me. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that back up. I initially gave it a 3.5 on Letterboxd, and I moved it up to a 4. So uh, I definitely liked it more the second time. So with that, we're going to go into some of our shorter reviews. Uh, Brandon, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so a movie I saw and really liked was Tully. This is a film directed by Jason Reitman. He's done in the past like Juno, Up in the Air, and Young Adults. He does a lot of these pregnant and raising children storylines that always do a good mixture of comedy and some really serious drama. I thought this movie was incredible, more so the first half than the second half. Um, I wasn't on board with everything that went on um, in the towards the climax, but like with how much they got right in this movie and the perspective they were able to take that really isn't shown in theaters. I mean, this movie goes deep into the first months of raising a child and just like how hard it is on uh, on everyone involved and how much work and effort seeing that like on screen and the way they're able to present it like there's this moment in the movie where they they do a good like two minute montage and the style and editing and the like i don't want to say brutality but the (laughs) what this brutality of pregnancy and babies (laughs) on their sleeping schedule and lives is like is it's so crazy to watch like i literally was just like jaw dropped at like the talent that was in this movie so yeah, that's that's Tolly. It was it was really great. Yeah, this was a movie that you really really recommended that both me and Derek see because both of our wives are pregnant, but mm-hmm. uh, neither of us saw. So yeah, so I actually think it maybe will work out better because if you saw it now, it would be more of like a horror story for you guys, like something that like maybe you'd make you dread some stuff more. But I think when it comes out like on streaming and you're in like two months, right when you guys are right in it, it'll just be more of like a jaw dropping, relatable experience. And so I think it might work better, like turning it on a few months into having a kid when it comes out. I give this movie four stars, maybe like a upper four stars, like a 4.25. Something around there. But not not quite 4.5 yet, though. Yeah, a high four stars. Okay, cool, cool. That's good to know. So that's Tully. That is not in theaters anymore, but um, yeah, that was the movie Tully. So Derek, uh, what about you? Uh, I watched this movie called Cargo. It's streaming on Netflix, and it's a zombie movie starring Martin Freeman. I think this is kind of what zombie movies need to be for now on just because we've seen so many i mean it's about zombies but they're kind of like a background type thing that's happening more like a frame to put the world in but it takes place in australia and pretty much just about martin freeman uh trying to save his daughter out in the australia wilderness with the help of some of the local natives that live out there it was just really well done it was really creative they take like the whole zombie outbreak in a new direction. They play with like what zombies could be. And I don't know, it's just it's so fresh and like in such a like it's just from a different perspective than we've really seen before. So and Martin Freeman's really good and 
everything he's in. So I gave it four stars too. Cool. So uh, that's Cargo, and it's available on Netflix right now. Brandon, what's your next movie? Uh, the next movie is Unsane. This is a Steven Soddenberg movie. Uh, I think it came out several months ago, but this is him doing a low-budget thriller. Uh, he made this movie for like $1.5 million. Uh, he notoriously filmed the whole thing on an iPhone, kind of like uh, Tangerine definitely looks it maybe even more so than tangerine there's some like very digitally looking shots all throughout it but it's just like amazing seeing him get kind of like down and dirty with some uh indie filmmaking because uh, he's such a good director and has such good pace to him uh one thing i liked about this movie is in its concept of this uh woman getting like locked in an insane asylum when she's not supposed to be there is like the believability of like why doesn't she just walk out like how can how come she can't just like get out of this building and be saved like this is a ridiculous situation they're trying to put her in the real world but they do a really good job at coming up with reasons why she's not able to do that and why she's not able to protect herself and it it was interesting like actually how believable they made this movie i say it's like a great indie Blumhouse type thriller, even though I don't, I don't think they produced it, but it's kind of in that vein and you guys should see it. Horror movie month in October. Yeah. I gave this movie 3.5 stars. I liked it. Yeah. I like Steven Soderbergh a lot. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. It's cool having him back. Do you guys know if there's any truth to the rumor that he is secretly his own DP on all his films? <laughs> never heard of this i've heard of this rumor that he just he like puts a different name on every movie but he but it's not actually anyone i mean I, I have no idea i've never even heard that rumor before but i wouldn't be surprised because he's yeah. a really creative guy he's been making movies he was he was in the first wave of like indie indie directors you know the sex lies and video tape came out in like you know the late 80s and that was part of like that rebirth of indie filmmaking and he's he's been able to do like major blockbusters and small indies in that time going back and forth and i, I mean he's he's a really creative creative dude so i, I wouldn't be surprised but I mean, yeah that's really interesting we should do more research into that agreed anyway that movie is unsane it is going to be available on blu-ray and dvd on june 6th and streaming around that time too I watched a movie on Netflix called Anon. Uh, it was directed by Andrew Nichol, who also did a few other uh, well-known sci-fi movies like Gattaca. I, I think Gattaca is kind of uh, a modern sci-fi classic. I mean, it's not modern. It came out in the 90s, but, you know, it's like... So good. Totally. Yeah, people think of Gattaca as, oh, that's a, one of those great sci-fi movies. And so just uh, an Andrew Nichol movie just popping up on Netflix, I was pretty interested in it. Um, I don't watch Black Mirror, but I kind of feel like this would be an extended episode of Black Mirror. They used some really cool stylistic things that made it seem like a video game. Like they had like, you know, things popping up on the screen as if you could like access things kind of like Minority Report, like things would kind of just pop up. And I mean, the concept itself is kind of like Minority Report, except it's not preventing murders, but it's solving murders. But I don't know. I thought the movie was just okay. 
you know, I thought the concept was pretty, pretty strong, but there were parts of it where like some of the worst acting I've ever seen and the concept kind of lost track of itself as it went along. I mean, it, it, the setup was really fun and interesting, but the movie kind of just became just kind of average. And then I knocked it down a star because of how some parts were just bad. So, I mean, I gave this movie two stars, but if you're into sci-fi, it might be worthwhile to check out. Anyway, that's Anon. It's uh, available on streaming for Netflix right now. Brandon, what's your next movie? Next movie is Revenge. This is a super stylized indie bloodbath revenge film, um, sexploitation revenge film. It's pretty brutal, but like it does a total B-movie fun job with it. I, I would recommend not even watching the trailer because like the main catalyst of the film that happens a third of the way through is something that would be amazing to be surprised with. So like, just give it a shot. I think it's just, it's online for streaming already. And if you want to just have like a fun, bloody <laughs> ride, uh, check this movie out. I'm also just noticing it has 91% on Rotten Tomato. I know you guys hate me bringing it up, but like, this is a weird movie to have 91% on, um, <laughs> but good for it. It's, it's really fun. Cool. So that is Revenge. That's available for streaming right now. Um, the next movie we wanted to bring up was called First Reformed. It's a movie starring Ethan Hawke, and it's directed and written by Paul Schrader, who also wrote a bunch of, like, he's been writing and directing movies for since the 70s. Like, he wrote Taxi Driver and uh, a bunch of other ones. And, I mean, to be honest, I'm not that familiar with his filmography. And uh, this movie's just been getting great buzz. I think Brandon saw it before I did, but I, I saw it at the Seattle International Film Festival, and I actually almost didn't get in. The line was around the whole building, and I was one of the only people who were in the standby line that was actually able to get in. And, nice. Um, I don't really want to give too much away about this, but you know, Brandon, what do you think? Help me out here. I I freaking loved this movie. I thought it was like stylistically genius. Every like kind of aspect of it, the like way it was shot the like aspect ratio, all the actors' performances were like kind of like awkwardly close to the camera and personal and unique. And I really got into this. It's it's a pretty small film. It doesn't it takes place in only a few locations. And it's really psychological. Ethan Hawke's character like kind of goes down the deep end throughout the course of this movie pretty slowly, um, like a lot of other Paul Schrader films. When I saw this movie, it was actually at an open Q&A where the director, Paul Schrader, showed up afterwards and people got to ask him questions directly for like a half hour after the film. So that was pretty special. But to me, this is like one of probably going to be one of the best movies of the year. And I thought it was amazing. So you definitely liked this movie more than I did. I definitely got a lot out of it. Like there's a lot of ideas in this movie. There's yeah. like all sorts of like existential like crisis elements that the characters are going through and they're struggling with what they believe in. You know, he's a reverend and I don't want, I don't want to say that he's questioning his faith, but he's more questioning his place in the world and the other humans place in the world, how they're affecting God's world. 
there's also yeah i mean i'm totally with you on the style like the there's so much style in that movie there's a few s- shots that are really going to stick with me i mean he's he's an alcoholic he just keeps drinking throughout the movie like you know there's a scene where he pours <laughs> he pours whiskey into his bowl of cereal which is played for laughs and oh, then yeah. later on Later on, he's drinking whiskey again, but he pours like a bunch of Pepto Bismol into the glass, and before he drinks it, it like has this close up of the glass, and the the Pepto Bismol isn't mixing very well with the with the whiskey. It, like it kind of looks like a big pink tumor inside the the rest of the liquid, and it's like this this close up of it, and it's it's such yeah, kind of a great shot. Yeah, it was like such a good shot. I mean, I mean I'm not gonna give away the ending, but the ending is very trippy and up for debate on what happens. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of style and a lot to like about this movie. I personally didn't buy into some of the character choices. There were moments where, like, where the movie goes, I didn't really believe that the characters would go that way. So, I mean, I, I definitely recommend it because I think that it's a worthwhile movie to see. I just think that it kind of lost track of some believability elements for me in place of in place of ideas. Like I think the movie kind of chooses to have style and ideas over what the characters might you know really do. Yeah. Yeah. I gave this movie 3.5 stars and I gave it 4.5 stars. Okay. So uh, that's first reformed and I'm pretty sure it's going to get a wide release. Both me and Brandon saw it in, Limited release. I'm pretty sure it's getting a wide release later this summer. Brandon, what's your next movie? Next movie is The Writer. I don't really know much about the crew of this film, but I saw a trailer for it and saw that it was getting really great reviews, so I decided to check it out. And this is definitely the better of the two horse movies that came out on the same week. So I definitely recommend The Writer over (laughs) Lean on Pete. So yeah, the writers, the writers, super unique. They both deal with a lot of the same concepts, but like you know, it's it's about this. It's about this boy who trains horses and rides in the rodeo, bucking horses. And the movie starts with him waking up in the hospital after being stepped in the head, having this giant scar, and not being able to ride anymore. So he lives in like severe poverty. There's nothing else really to do in his life, and it's about him trying to decide what to do next. And it's really beautiful. I guess some really unique thing about how they shot this film, like the main character of this movie actually went through that in his life. And they shot it not too long after a horse actually stepped on his head and he couldn't ride anymore. And so the director did this weird hybrid of like wrote this movie while it was still occurring in, you know, in reality and decided to step in and shoot the main character along with other people in the town that were actual not really actors, just people who are living in the community. That's crazy. Interesting. Uh, so I give this movie a high four stars as well. Like, I know it could easily slide between 4.5 and 4. But, yeah, I give it four for now. Okay, cool. So that was The writer, and that's probably still in some theaters right now. Brandon, what's your next movie? Oh, uh, my next movie is Let the Sunshine In. This is a French film that was on the sight and sound list for 2017, but it finally got its release here in the States. So I was pretty excited to finally check it out. It's a pretty like entertaining movie. Uh, it wasn't as like serious as I thought it was going to be. 
Um, but it's a really unique perspective about somebody. Like everyone knows those people that always they're constantly in different relationships, but there's never downtime in between them. And each relationship is just as serious as the last. It's, it's about one of those people that just like always has to have that person around them. And she's kind of like a love addict. The movie is super subtle. Like it'll, it'll show scenes and then it won't be for another 15 or 20 minutes to where they'll call back and you'll realize what you were watching before. And it just kind of moves through these relationships in a really natural and real way um, to even the point where it's not giving you any information about them. And it kind of just paints this tapestry of someone who is a complete love addict and needs help. And so I recommend this. Addicted to love, huh? Yeah, I gave this movie four stars. Yeah, so that's Let the Sunshine In. It's probably playing at some select theaters right now. Otherwise, watch it for when it comes out on streaming. So now we're going to move on to our featured reviews for the episode. The first being Deadpool 2, starring Ryan Reynolds returning as Deadpool. I'm just going to read the plot summary real quick. Wisecracking mercenary Deadpool battles the evil and powerful Cable and other bad guys to save a boy's life. This movie is directed by David Leach. He also did John Wick and Atomic Blonde, stars Ryan Reynolds and Josh Brolin, TJ Miller, a few other people. So, Derek, do you want to kick us off with your initial thoughts about Deadpool 2? Does it actually say the evil and powerful uh, Cable? It does in this in this review. It's such a strange <laughs> description of that character. Um, yeah, evil. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of. I feel like maybe I should check my other. Stuff. I'll check. That was Letterbox. Let me see if the if it says that on. What if they just IMDb? saw Josh Brolin and thought he was playing Thanos? Right. Like, <laughs> that's funny. Okay, this one um, a little bit differently. This one said. This one says. Foul-mouthed mutant mercenary Wade Wilson, a.k.a. Deadpool, brings together a team of fellow mutant rogues to protect a young boy with supernatural abilities from the brutal, time-traveling cyborg Cable. Much better. That sounds better. That makes a little more sense, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I liked it overall. I didn't think it was as good as the first one, but I think what David Leach brought to it was his ability to make amazing action scenes and so this movie was just full of really awesome action scenes and it still had that same humor that the first one had i just don't i think it lacked the drama and i don't know part of what i loved so much about the first one was that the relationship between wade wilson and uh i can't think of the girl's name but his uh, girlfriend was just really it was actually really sweet and really charming and i think in this one they just missed it i don't know if it was just they they were more focused i mean david leach is more of an action director so maybe he just you know he doesn't quite have the chops to handle the making that dramatic stuff work within this just ridiculous comedy but i don't know that was probably my least favorite thing about it was them not being able to pull that together because that was what I liked about the first one so much. Other than that, I think I wasn't a super big fan of uh, Josh Brolin as Cable. I, the, the character just, I mean, he was fine, but it just, it wasn't as exciting as I was hoping it would have been. I thought he himself was kind of forgettable, honestly. Like, for a co-star, he was still very, like, 
overshadowed by the other characters. Yeah, for but. for a movie that had such good action, I wish. I mean, Josh Brolin was the least interesting action part of the movie, and just he kind of yeah. had like a strong arm, and they they didn't make that work very well in those fight scenes. I kind of like visioned he would be like jumping back and forth through time and like fucking with Deadpool on like a minute to minute basis and going back and forth, and they'd actually utilize his, you know, interesting power aspects. Yeah, like I honestly don't remember almost anything that he did in the movie (laughs) such an unmemorable character yeah he had a big gun and an arm the gun could magnetize itself to his back which was kind of cool but i mean that was what it did it 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 went to his back (laughs) so (laughs) yeah um brandon what about you what did you think about deadpool 2 I really enjoyed this movie. I know I gave it a four. Maybe it should be a three and a half. But I I just think it's so cool to see an action movie that actually has amazing action in it. Like, it seems like such a no-brainer that these big blockbusters should be hiring, like, the best stunt coordinators and choreographers to set up these elaborate scenes and to place really fun, interesting choreography throughout them. And you finally get it with Deadpool too. There are some amazing fight scenes that are really cleverly put together and where the characters, I mean, besides Joss Brolin, what we just said, but where a lot of the other characters are using their powers in really personal and, uh, and interesting ways. Uh, we can go in details, you know, with the girl that's super lucky. Like that was one of the best executions yeah. of a superhero power I've ever seen in a movie. And they did a good job with that in the first one, but like even more so in this one too. Uh, it's awesome seeing a blockbuster with such good fighting. And I, again, I thought it was hilarious. I think this movie had even higher highs than the first one did as far as its comedy and went through, it went for and succeeded at even bigger jokes. I'd agree. And I really respect the movie for that. It kind of sounds like I like the movie the least out of the three of us, which is again, surprising because I typically like comic book movies, you know, more than Brandon, at least. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I thought it was, I thought it was all right. You know, I, I, I gave it three stars overall. Um, I just, I, I felt like it was a very disjointed movie. I kind of felt like they really, they really tried for the emotional stuff, but then they also, you know, Deadpool's a very hilarious, you know, fourth wall breaking character. And I just felt like this movie, those two things didn't connect in this movie, the emotional beats, they kind of went in different direction from where the first one was at. The first one was all about his relationship, his love interest, and this one was more about him and this boy. But I, I didn't really feel that. I didn't really get why. I mean, I understood on an intellectual level why they were, why he was trying to save the boy. But I didn't really feel like there was a connection between the two of them. And just it just it felt like every time the movie tried to do an emotional thing, it was kind of undercut by a joke. And a lot of the jokes were hilarious, but it didn't get over the fact for me that the movie was just it kind of just was disjointed, kind of inconsequential. A big thing in the disjointedness is I still can't figure out how the main catalyst for him with his girlfriend relates to the rest of the movie and how he got to the boy. 
Like it's kind of just this weird string of events that happens throughout the first third of the movie that's so it, unrelated. Like, doesn't and relate. then he winds up in the situation he's in in the second half of the movie. He ends up joining the X Men because of a series of events, and but it's like you know, a, he's a string training of, of X Men. Weird events of how he gets there, right? That has nothing to do with the gang at the beginning, right? I will say one thing I really did like about it was their use of the X-Men, though. You alluded to it earlier about how they had other mutants and their powers done in really interesting ways. And I think, yeah, they had other mutants and their powers done well, but also just on a character level, they had some really well-realized characters. You know, like Colossus, who was in the first one, but he's, you know, he's a fully realized character. And I mean, he's not an interesting enough character where you want a full Colossus movie, but he was perfect as a supporting character. And same with, you know, Domino was amazing. Just, I feel like, like Juggernaut shows up and man, Juggernaut was really great too. And also, by the way, I'm pretty sure Ryan Reynolds was doing the voice of Juggernaut. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Which is kind of a throwback to like that movie that I loved so much, The Voices, where he's the cat and the dog, you know? So, I mean, Ryan Reynolds is amazing. (laughs) I mean, he's still like the best part of everything going on with this franchise, I think is Ryan Reynolds. Like one thing that I think is just really cool about what they're doing with it is he's literally like he's a credited writer on both films and he, the entire reason this movie got made and he's like doing all this other stuff for it. I think like his sense of humor and like his pride in this franchise is what that's like the through line between the first and the second movie to me. Right. Like he is very much still like you get that same Deadpool, that same Wade Wilson that we got in the first one in this one. So all that humor still lands well. And he's still like quick witted and like just going, going, going. Right. But it, that, that was also my biggest part problem with the movie was like the, how disjointed it was. It wasn't just like, it didn't just affect the movie, but it was also just really disappointing because they handled this so well in the first one. Well, so, I mean, you keep talking about how I'm totally with you. Ryan Reynolds, you know, he, he's what brings this movie and connects it completely. But I feel like he is just so much better at comedy. Like all the comedy stuff landed for me. And I know we've talked about it off air, but you know, the, the first one did set up that Deadpool is emotional. and can be an emotional story, but I don't know. I feel like Deadpool would be fine. Like the franchise would be fine if they made Deadpool movies that weren't emotional. It just kind of felt like he was a little too emo in this movie. And yeah, they gave him reasons to be emo. He wasn't just like Peter Parker and Spider-Man three, but it was like, he, it was, it, it was so emotional and it, didn't really land. I think Deadpool would work as a movie if it was mostly just jokes and cool action. I don't think we really need it to be like some sort of like really emotionally charged film. I think you're right, but like personally I think it's too late for that. Like they've established this other character and a relationship and you either just completely get rid of it and I mean, maybe Deadpool 3 is the time to do that since they handled it so poorly in this one. But I don't know. For me, like, that's what brought Deadpool 1 from, like, a really good Deadpool movie to making it into my top 10 list of that year. Like, the uh, the sex montage and everything in the first movie, like, that's one of the sweetest, most heartwarming things. Right. And yet it's still played straight for laughs it's still all comedy 
and and it like works really well in this like raunchy comic book like comedy i don't know for me that's what elevated that movie even that much more you feel like there's a genuine connection between them like that montage is so effective because you feel like they really do belong together and there's a genuine connection but I, I guess I'm just saying, like, I mean, second movie is done, whatever, they made it the way they did, but I'm, you know, I'm talking about going forward. I feel like he can still have relationships, he can still have her, and then just have some sort of X-Men adventure, just have some sort of, like, you know, kick-ass, like, oh, there's a bad guy here. I mean, these movies are fairly conventional. Once you strip away the, you know, the hard violence and the humor and the fourth wall-breaking stuff, the plot is pretty conventional. I think yeah. I think I mostly agree with what you're saying, Nick, and I hope going forward they're able to realize that. I'm personally really excited for the team they have together. Like you said, they were with such little screen time, they were able to make so many of the supporting characters just interesting and fun to watch. And now that you know it ended in a typical we have the team together way, and now we're going to go on and kick some more ass with bad guys. I'm like pretty excited if um this director helms the third one and is able to take that team to some great action scenes going forward so yeah i'm excited for a third one is all i'm saying far out so there's just one like super clever thing i wanted to highlight that made my jaw drop because i've never seen it before it was in like towards the opening when he's kicking a bunch of ass and like butchering a ton of different gangs there's this shot where it's in slow motion, and it's a really oh, long exactly take of it about. tracking backwards. And then you quickly realize that it's only the guy running in the like foreground that's in slow motion. And all the chaos going on in the background is in real time, all in the same cut. Do you guys remember that oh, shot? I didn't even notice that. I know exactly the shot you're talking about. I didn't notice that yeah, anything was in fast it was, motion. It was in it, or in regular. It was in yeah. It was in two different speeds, like the single shot that goes on for like a minute straight. Uh, it's like crazy clever. Yeah. Well, what probably the scene that really made me like this movie so much was the skydiving scene. Like, if that was the all I got from this movie, I'd be really happy. Yes, this is like one of my favorite things I've seen in a very long time. Well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty brilliant because they they totally subvert your expectations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So that movie is Deadpool 2. It's still in theaters now. Catch it while you can. So the next movie, our final uh, review for this episode, is going to be Solo, A Star Wars Story. This is the newest installment of the Star Wars series. It takes place uh, before the first Star Wars movie, so it's sort of a prequel. Reading the plot summary, it says, During an adventure into the criminal underworld, Han Solo meets his future co-pilot, Chewbacca, and encounters Lando Calrissian years before joining the Rebellion. It was directed by Ron Howard and stars Alden Enrich, Woody Harrelson, Emilia Clark, Donald Glover, a few other people. So, uh, Derek, what are your initial thoughts on Solo, a Star Wars story? Well, I want to say this is this movie has a lot of baggage and I think that it may get judged unfairly by some people, not necessarily you guys, but just in general as Star Wars movies are, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, so I mean besides fandom yeah. fandom is obsessive nowadays. I mean, 
The Last Jedi, one of the most dis- divisive movies of all time, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, with uh, with the director shakeup, I think like people had weird expectations like going into it. Like, I don't know if clearly from the box office results, people weren't very excited about it. And I think I was one of those people. I really wasn't excited for it, but I knew I wanted to see it sooner rather than later so I could judge for myself. And I think even probably 20 minutes to a half hour into the movie, I was still pretty harshly judging it, dreaming of what could have been happening had the other directors stayed on board. Probably around the end of the first act, the movie kind of swept me off my feet when it got into the first big action set piece, which I thought was just exhilarating and really exciting. So my review of the movie is that I think it's it's more along the lines of like a Fast and Furious type movie than a Star Wars movie. And I think that's kind of cool about it. Like it's just a string of heists in the Star Wars universe starring Han Solo, young Han Solo. And they work in some of his backstory. It's not like the most interesting thing, but for a summer action blockbuster, I think it nails all the checkpoints that they needed to to nail. I think it looks really cool. I think the directing is not bad. I can't think of anything that's sticking out like a sore thumb in this movie. I thought it actually worked pretty well. And... I actually thought the action set pieces of this movie were highlights. They're were, they're were all really great, and overall, I just really liked the movie. Cool. I'm glad you liked it, Brandon. What say you? I did not like this movie really at all. In a different way, I didn't really hate the movie though. Like I didn't have. I maybe had more big problems with the previous Star Wars films than I did this film though I liked this one less. And I don't know how that really works out. But to talk about some things you said, like I do agree the the like cinematography and the set design and CGI, I was all pretty impressed with. I actually did look it up and the cinematographer, you know, worked uh, with Dennis Villeneuve on Arrival and did a most violent year in Selma. Like he's actually pretty great, which is why this movie looks pretty consistent and beautiful throughout. Um, yeah, I loved, I did love the whole look of the film a lot. And even with the directing Ron Howard, it's, it is a pr- pretty clean and well-paced film throughout. Like it, it hits all the beats when it needs to. I, I wasn't necessarily like wanting to leave the movie, but at the same time, I, I thought it failed pretty miserably on the action and the set pieces uh, in the first 20 minutes, like you said, were pretty rough. That was definitely some of the, the worst parts was the movie getting going. But even when it did get to like the train sequence and some of the, the bigger moments towards the um, middle and later part of the movie, I was not that entertained by what was going on. I, I didn't think it was, that clever besides the fact that the train like tilted sideways, but everything that was like going on around it and the like structure of the heights and the planning with everybody, even when they were um, freeing the droids and invading the mining colony, like I just thought none of it, none of it was clever enough for me to get into it. 
and I was pretty disappointed by a lot of the action. Okay. Well, um, I think I'm more in line with Brandon on this one. <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but I liked um, the premise of the movie, and I hated the premise of the movie. Like, I liked that it was a smaller Star Wars tale. You know, like, I liked that it was about a smuggler. You know, I liked I liked how it started, and you're on this planet that we haven't been to before, and it's the planet where they build all the ships, and they have this awesome shot of Han Solo, like, on the ground, and you see, like, you know, a Star Destroyer above him, like, being built and put together, and it's like, oh, wow, I mean, of course, there's got to be a planet where they do that kind of stuff. And I, you know, just that whole concept of it being a tale just about the smuggler, you know, it's a way of expanding the universe and uh, showing parts of the, of this, you know, franchise that we talked about and seen in small glimpses, but, oh, we're getting a story that's just about that. And that, that's pretty interesting to me. Um, it had a lot of prequel problems, you know, it had so many just like fan service or like, you know, just just problems with, oh, this is how this character met, and this is why this happens, and, you know, like, just, just, it's just baffling how bad it is, where, you know, uh, basically an Imperial, an Imperial soldier gives Han Solo's name. I mean, he's like, what's your name? My name is Han. I don't have a last name because I don't have a family. Oh, well. And then he, like, looks into the camera and into our souls and says, well, I'm going to call you Han Solo. It's like, what? Oh, like, just that kind of stuff is just so bad. Like, just just really bad. And there, there were a bunch of moments like that. Just, just prequel, like, garbage moments that we don't need and don't like. But then, I mean, Brandon, I'm, I'm pretty much with you, too, though. Like, as the movie goes along, like, it, it turns into a heist movie. But I feel like it kind of fails as a heist movie. I, di- I was never really that interested in how they were stealing it. Like, I just watched The Sting a few weeks ago. Like I mentioned, I watched a bunch of movies from the 70s. And that movie is so great because it it basically, like, sets up the whole mission. It tell it almost tells you exactly what the characters are doing and what they're trying to get out of it and, like, how they're going to do it. Like, they, they lay out the whole plan right in front of you. Explain pretty explicitly but then when they're actually going through the motions and doing the plan you 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 buy into it and you start second guessing actually what they're doing and if it's going to work out and if someone's going to be betrayed and if they're going to get away with it and I, I didn't feel that at all with this movie i just kind of okay they're stealing this thing okay well that that's happening and and, and what was their plan to steal the the mining ore and the mining colony their their plan was like to how? the plan was to throw it on a cart and roll it out to the ship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like great plan. Great plan. It worked. <laughs> I mean, but not because of their plan. And right, and it right. also worked because of like they were just invincible to like bullets in like the typical James Bond <laughs> actiony way. They literally just kind of walked out and people missed them for 10 minutes straight until they got it to the ship. Yeah. So I don't know. It was it was one of my least favorite Star Wars movies. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Man. But. 
It's like, what, what if I said it's one of my favorite Star Wars <laughs> movies? I think, I think we should move into spoilers think, with um, well, with all three of our first takes now. That's fine. I mean, I don't know if I really have many spoilery things to talk about, but okay. I will say, like, maybe it's my relationship with Star Wars. Like, for me, everything I... I feel like I, I kind of knew what was going to happen in this movie. I, I figured it would be a very by the books, very safe, very cheesy, very uh, like not creative take. Like as soon as I saw that Ron Howard was directing it, I was like, okay, so we're just we're going to get like that that kind of a movie. We're not getting like part of me thinks that like with Lord and Miller, we would have gotten a very on Star Wars like star wars movie i think that they would have taken like i think that's probably why they got fired is because it, it didn't feel like the star wars movie that that lucasfilm and disney were imagining it being and so they replaced him with someone that could deliver that and right. so that so going in i kind of expected that i was like well that's what we're gonna get it's not gonna be anything special it's not gonna be creative and it's you know they're getting Ron Howard because he's going to deliver them what they expect him to, and so for me, I don't know. I wasn't really, I don't know. Like like for me, it was a, a surprise when. I mean, it's hard to follow now that you guys were like talking about how much you hated the action scenes. Because specifically for me, I loved the action scenes. Well, I like I, I like the train one. Really I good. I thought the train one was really good. I, I'll admit, I got pretty into when they were stealing the train, and you know, uh, I mean, it wasn't nearly as good as I can't remember if you mentioned Fast Five, but like Fast Five also has a train you know heist scene in it, which is you know much better, but. Um, like I, I actually did really like the train one, but then like immediately after, like I just I didn't like the how that scene ended, and that kind of like took away a lot of the like the action for me because uh, it, it ended up not mattering at all. You know what I mean? Like the they like dropped the cargo and nothing. They just like oh man, well that sucked. We went through all that and and you know nothing matters. I just that was kind yeah, of what bothered like- me about that scene. Yeah, but isn't that's the same thing for every Fast and the Furious movie? <laughs> for every set piece in a Fast and the Furious movie, almost none of them actually matter in the end. Until like they the either Well, yeah, but even then, like very rarely is there a price to be paid in a Fast and Furious movie. And um yet they kind of get a pass because they're supposed to be cheesy and dumb and silly and just big action spectacles. And for me, Gosh. like that's exactly what this was. It was a big, dumb, cheesy action spectacle. And I thought that they delivered on all those things. I don't think there has to be big stakes in that. Like, I think that it's okay for the, I mean, it's not, obviously they're going to suffer from not having as good of a movie as if it did have big stakes, but I'm just saying, like, that's why I, this was such a fun, easy watch for me, was you didn't get that invested in everything, and it was kind of like a, I don't know, this all just makes it sound see, like a terrible movie. See, you know, but, I, kind of, but, I kind of, like, agree with you that it was like the Fast and Furious movies. The thing is, is that, unlike you guys, I, I don't really like the Fast and the Furious movies. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting, the, I'm well. getting... 
I'm getting offended you comparing them to the Fast and Furious <laughs> movies. I'm like, what do you like, mean the Fast and Furious movies don't have steak? There's, they, there's so much stakes in those movies. <laughs> they, people die. People, like, people lose their per- lives. Like, and Two people have died, and one they had to kill off because he actually died in real life. Like... Well, you think In Letty dies movies. for a you think Letty dies for a while and for she while. doesn't. <laughs> well, you know, you don't know that in the she, in the fifth she, movie. She just forgot that she was alive or something. I even remember. Well, I mean, it's not weird. just about life and death though, too. It's also about well, exactly. like but, but I mean, it's also about scene... the rock chasing you cuz you have like, <laughs> you know, you stole this money and then the gangsters are also trying to get the other thing and you know, I mean, you're well, right. That's like, what I mean that life and death stuff. Like that's why that that train scene for me didn't feel like it was a complete waste because it did come down to a life and death thing. But the whole the whole reason why it kind of feels like a letdown was because it felt like that life and death thing didn't matter, right? Well, I mean, and I like, do think that's a that's a part of the movie that they fucked up on for the, sure. Yeah, the movie tells but, you that life and death doesn't matter in that <laughs> scene because. Woody Harrelson's wife dies and he doesn't even like care at all. Like he just kind of, you know, he gets upset for a minute and then he's he punches, kind of like, damn it. Yeah. He like punches Han. Cause he's like, man, your actions, you know, made us lose that money. And my wife's dead, but I'll work with you again. Let's go. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. the movie just kind of brushes it off and keeps going. I mean, I was also and, a little weirded out by like the fact that she killed herself anyways. I mean, I guess right. it was to sacrifice herself for the husband. They didn't really make that clear, but like she, like she killed herself because if it, they had failed, then someone else would have killed her, which doesn't really make sense. It's like, you know, you're dead either way. Why would you kill yourself ahead of time for no reason? I think like that situation, I feel like is fairly common in action movies. And I, th- I think for me, I've just, I just was kind of numb to it. Like it didn't even, like yeah, it sucks that they did that, and it makes for a lame, like just conclusion needed, to that story. But I, yeah, I just needed her to be like not bluntly, but you to more feel like I'm doing this for you, Woody. Like this is this is so you can <laughs> this is so you can return the goods and live a life and be free. Yeah. Um, I because it's like didn't, one line. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. Yeah. Um, I I can I could switch this a little bit and tell you some more stuff I did like about it. Um, I liked I liked the very ending a lot. Um, like the small climax of the movie. Um, I liked mm-hmm. the reveal with the um, resistance, and I thought they looked great. And I was it's pretty cool like seeing the first wave of that. And the way they're represented in the film and the way that they're going to get enough money to do all of their uh, resisting. I thought that was really mm-hmm. cool. Um, I also re- liked the like little... Um, I liked the twists in the yacht that happened in the small room. Um, mm-hmm. I like... That was kind of old school... That was Sorry. That was kind of old school heist movie. And I was pretty on board for everything that was going down there, the ending fight scene, um, the location out on the sands. I thought they nailed all of that. And it, it got me excited right before it ended, and, but it was, a little, it was too little too late for me. Yeah. I mean, 
what were you gonna, were you gonna say something, Nick? Say. No, I uh, I don't have too much to say. I, I was gonna I was going to say like I do think it's interesting that this is this is the tenth you know, Star Wars movie, and you know say what you will about the other Disney ones that have come out so far, but it is interesting now that there's been a kind of a variety in them. You know, the first the first one was a little you know I thought the first one was great, but it was the Force Awakens was a little too similar to A New Hope. And then The Last Jedi was a little too too far out of Star Wars for some people, while Rogue One was a, a war movie, and and like Solo is it's doing its thing. To me, Solo is more close to the prequels than anything else. But like, I don't know. For the first time, like there's there's ten of them, and people are starting to like you know all over Twitter and stuff. Everyone's like putting their own rankings, and it's just kind of like humorous to me, like seeing how everyone's rankings are different and stuff. Um, I mean, I know I don't. Everyone puts Solo as the worst. <laughs> I mean, I I know I'm a little weird because I love I love the Last Jedi. I thought Rogue One was okay, and um, like out of the prequels, I think the Phantom Menace is the best one by like a margin. Like I think I I think I would give I think I would give the Phantom Menace three stars, and uh, the Clone Wars two. No, I would give Phantom Menace three stars. Uh, Revenge of the Sith two stars and the Clone Star the Clone Wars one star <laughs> and I think I gave I think I gave Solo two and a half stars so by by that standard I have the Phantom Menace over Solo but uh, Solo <laughs> above the other two prequel movies so yeah <laughs> you know Nick I agree with you on Phantom Menace like I don't nice. th- I think people are I think a lot of people are coming around to Phantom Menace being the better of the uh, the one two and three. I just think the Phantom Menace works because it's like purely a popcorn movie. Like it's like it's just easy and fun and silly. The it's the got ideas. Pottery scene is awesome. It's got yeah, ideas and that it's the got, others don't. It's got some uh, cool lightsaber fights too, and yeah, it just you know it's not good, but it's just it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, but. Uh, uh, I just want to add in that Solo, <laughs> going back to Solo, oh, solo? for a minute. Okay. Yeah, sorry. The, uh, <laughs> um, just one last little push to save its, uh, save this review of it. <laughs> I think the the Kessel Run scene, I absolutely loved too. Ooh, let's talk about that. Um, yeah, I thought like, I think I think what like the benefit, like the good. Th- side of having ron howard is he is a veteran and he not like of war but of uh, directing and he knows how to pace action scenes really well and I, i regardless of how dumb they are i think he knows how to film them and edit them so that they're exciting and intense and specifically that castle run scene i feel like that like there's a, a lot of these kinds of movies a lot of like action movies where they're trying to steal stuff whether it be heists or just stealing you know train robberies or whatever i think a lot of those action scenes follow strict formulas that so you could probably find them in tons and tons of movies and break them down how they all work out the same way and there's there's a thing that happens where someone needs to do something to like 
you know, like, you know, it kind of builds to this climax, like specifically in this movie, thinking of, you know, they're, they're doing their, their Kessel run and they get to that. There's like this crazy space octopus that's yep. like getting sucked into a black hole or something. Is that what's happening? Yeah. It's so chaotic. And it's not a black hole. I forget like, what they call it, but it's like gravity suck or something. <laughs> something crazy is happening. Visually, it's it's really amazing too. Like that, the imagery in that scene is really fantastic. Like the image of this planet-sized octopus, like getting sucked into a hole while the spaceship's just barely trying to eke its way out is just really cool. Out of context of a Star Wars movie, I think it's really cool. In context of this movie, um, that scene right there, there's you know Woody Harrelson's like trying to get that like a vial of that stuff to put in the engine to like you know give him enough spark to get out of there. I feel like I've seen that concept done in like fifty movies, and rarely like for some reason. Like I had the conscious thought while I was watching the scene that like, like this is how you do this right. Like for me, it felt like they like, I don't know. Like it was it was all believable in the con in the context of this movie, and I thought that the the pacing was just perfect. That like, I don't know. Like I was actually like getting really invested and really excited and like. It, I don't know. For me, it just that whole scene worked so well, and I've seen it done wrong so many times. Like that whole, you got to get the boost in the engine core so we can, you know, go, or even in like a car engine or you know whatever it is. I think Star Wars has even done it like ten times, and I feel like this is the yeah. only time they got it. That right. scene, that scene definitely happens in Empire Strikes Back, where they're like. Yeah, Han's like, or someone's in the bunker trying to like get hyperspace working, and then R two D two plugs himself in and gets it going, and they fly off. That that type of thing. I I think I agree with a lot of your points, and like I think the graphics looked amazing. The CGI was good. The Ron Howard like paced it really well. Um, you know the the Star Destroyer inside the like tornado looked awesome. And even the giant beast was a cool concept. I even liked the uh, the like commentary of them trying to get Woody Harrelson to like hurry up and you know inject the fluid in. Like I thought that was like funny and clever, and like the cutting back and forth worked really well. But when I look think back on that scene, it's it's insanity in a completely absurd way. And like the more I think about that scene. It the less it makes sense to me, and the more kind of I'm upset about like how much they had going on, um, and I still don't even get what was actually closing in on them at all. <laughs> Let alone the like other two the things that are even thing? even more confusing. Uh, not the gravity thing. The the like the ice. Um, I don't know the cave. Whatever the like final thing they had to get out of. I still don't know what that was, um, let alone the other two things that are probably even more ridiculous <laughs> to try to think about. I know what you're talking about. I don't remember like the. I guess I don't remember enough of the. It was like con. it was like a barrier of uh, of, of icy uh, needle something, icy yeah. crystals. I feel well, like, like the, what the I remember Kessel... watching it and it making sense, but I don't like. 
there was so much going on i couldn't tell you what that was <laughs> yeah but even so that's like the least of their worries like they also didn't explain the gravity suck or the creature but for some reason that thing whatever closed in on them had the least explanation and made the least sense <laughs> It was yeah. like when they were going through the alleyway in the beginning of the movie, remember? Oh, yeah. yeah just like that. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so real quick. So uh, real quick. So Solo is Solo was the most expensive Star Wars movie ever made, mostly yeah. because when they fired Lord and Miller they, and hired Ron Howard, Ron Howard went and did like 70% of the reshoots. Like he just basically reshot almost the entire movie, and that made it – that made it one made it the most expensive Star Wars movie ever, and it pretty much like bombed at the office. And I mean, it's kind of funny when a movie makes 110 million, it's a bomb. But <laughs> you know, it was expected to make a lot more. They're hoping it would make a lot more, and it costs so much. It's like you know, when a movie costs like 250 million, and it's not even going to come near that, you know, it it's a problem. So I mean, why why do you guys think it failed? Why do you think people weren't into it? I think there's uh, there's a really clear one that's pretty obvious is that they only spent three and a half months advertising for it and nobody was excited about it and the build up to this movie was way too short and they should have the advertising was terrible the advertising was terrible and they should have spaced it out way more I mean this is different than a Marvel movie this isn't like a fun superhero this is this is a sci-fi movie people don't like sci-fi movies yeah it's Star Wars but um, it's a whole different concept, and you can't release these movies this quickly consecutively. Um, you yeah, get what you mean? Like, like people like sci-fi movies, but you have to sell them on it first, right? They're not. It's not a. Uh, it's not like a, it's not a built-in cash grab. Yeah. Well, what I said during the summer movie wager episode that we did was that this movie was going to have to sell people on the idea of Alden Enrich being being Han Solo. And I think just in the marketing and then in the buzz afterward, I don't think people really were sold on him being Han Solo Um, or at least caring or at least caring enough to be like, oh, well, I want to see Han Solo's backstory. It just I think that people just weren't that into like I've I've definitely had conversations with multiple people who were like, you know what? I I like Han Solo's story as it is. I don't think I really need a backstory for him. Uh, I think that might be part of it. There was one unique perspective I heard about recently that I hadn't heard anyone else talk about, and it was Dan Merle um, on uh, Screen Junkies Junkies News. He brought up the fact that it was a massive um, sporting week in the world and in the U.S. Um, You had the Euro Cup um, finals, between Manchester and um, and uh, shit uh, Madrid, which is like the second biggest soccer event besides the World Cup in the world, and that happened Saturday. Uh, that is. I mean, it's also Memorial Day weekend where people are going to be camping and doing things outside and whatever. Yeah, uh, uh, that yeah, that's huge. Um, and also like the NBA um, finals were on. Um, well, and also the French finals Open. haven't started yet. The finals start tomorrow, but yeah, the playoffs were. Yeah, happening. the playoffs were happening. Um, two of them or something. Um, 
Yeah. And those are, and that's, that's a lot for all of Europe seeing something that it's like uh, the, it's like the Super Bowl for half of the world. Like no one's going out that day. No one went out Saturday in that section in everywhere but America. Um, so I think that was a big pain for the worldwide release. And I think even with this movie, back to like their advertising of it, I think they kind of missed, um, like, I don't even think they successfully sold this movie to the diehard Star Wars fans. Like, I, I don't think that, that that guaranteed money was there on this film. I don't know if it's because of The Last Jedi or if it's because of the marketing for this movie, but I don't know. I feel like that, that group of uh, customers for this film were completely missed somehow. Yeah. Okay, so do you guys have any final thoughts or anything? I'd still recommend everyone go see this movie. I really liked it a lot. <laughs> best Star Wars movie. Yeah. Do you really <laughs> think it was the best Star Wars movie, though? I said that it was the funnest time I've had watching Star Wars. I thought you really liked The Force Awakens. Yeah. This movie gave it. me a lot it's as fun of as respect for The Force Awakens. <laughs> I I'll honestly do not think it's nearly as fun as this movie. Like I just had such a blast watching this this one. I do think it's a better movie for sure. I could go you could talk for a really long time about how much better it is. But that doesn't change the fact that I had so much more fun That's watching good. this crazy action movie, Fast yeah. and Furious in Space. And I think it's also fair to say that this movie's not a train wreck. You know, I mean, it's 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 like Justice League. You know, they they fire. You know, uh, what's his name? Zack Snyder didn't get fired, but he stepped down, and they brought in Joss Whedon, and that felt like an incomplete movie. That felt like that didn't feel like a whole movie was there. That was like a pilot of a TV show, and Solo does feel like a full a full movie. Totally agree. Yeah, like I said, this I didn't hate too many things in this movie. I just didn't care for most of it. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, so with that, um, I think we're going to real quick preview some movies that are coming out in June. Um, so what's coming out in June? Derek, do you want to start us off? Yeah. The first big one. Um, I think a lot of us probably have them on our, um, our, Summer movie wagers is Ocean's Eight. Comes out June eighth, and uh, yeah, obviously it's a it's in the Ocean's franchise, but it's the all female take on it, and I think it it actually looks interesting. Definitely gonna go check it out. And this is in the bottom half of our top ten expectations for um, for the summer movie wager. So I mean, on a quality level and a money level, like what's going to do? What's going to be bigger, Ocean's Eight or Solo? You know, which is going to make more money at this point? You know, is is yeah. Solo is Ocean's Eight going to make more money? Like, is it going to exceed expectations and get ahead of Solo? Um, is it going to be a better heist movie than Solo? <laughs> Who knows? God. Solo's going to fuck up my summer movie wager so hard. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Uh, <laughs> so another movie we're really looking forward to is Won't You Be My Neighbor? This also comes out June 8th. Um, this is the... 
documentary? I don't know what word you're looking for. Miss, okay, this is the Mr. Rogers documentary. I forgot the word Mr. Rogers. Uh, this is the <laughs> Mr. Rogers documentary. Um, I'm actually just got tickets to go see this next Thursday because it comes out in New York. And I'm super excited to go see this movie. It, the trailer looks amazing. I've heard really good buzz from it opening up in South by Southwest and some other festivals. Um, people are loving this a lot. Yeah, I'm really excited about that too. Um, a movie that I'm pretty interested in. I have no idea if it's going to be good or not, but Tag. You know, I, I feel like on the heels of Game Night, which was you know, exceeded expectations, uh, Tag could be just as good. Just the cast is really solid. It's got John Hamm, Jake Johnson, and Ed Helms, Hannibal Burris, Isla Fisher, Jeremy Renner, Rashida Jones. Just it's a really solid cast. And if it's anywhere near quality Game Night, it's going to be a really, really fun time at the movies. Just basically the most epic game of Tag of all time. So we'll see. Uh, that that comes out that comes out June fifteenth. <laughs> also on June fifteenth, wow, they're going up against the Incredibles too. That's surprising. Well, I guess not. They're completely different demographics. Anyways, June fifteenth, the Incredibles two finally comes back. Comes out from Brad Bird. Um, God, when was the last one released? I feel like it's been almost it came out 10 like two thousand four. I think more than ten years. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, so um, I think that this could be, I mean, this movie, I think it's going to do kind of middle ground Pixar numbers in the high hundreds, but uh, it's always hard to tell with Pixar. Like, some of these movies just take off, and like, like freaking Finding Dory is like the biggest animated movie of all time, just like out of nowhere, and so who knows with Incredibles 2, but we're all really excited for it. Incredibles 1 is one of Pixar's best films, one of Brad Bird's best films, one of the best superhero films. Yeah. So uh, it's really exciting that they're bringing, they're doing a, a sequel to that. And I will say with sequels is kind of cool is like, well, at least with this animated sequels, we don't, it's not like, it's not like a reunion movie because with the animation, like no one has to age or anything. Right, this movie takes place immediately after the first one ends. So, I mean, it's an interesting idea because, like you said, this movie's first one came out more than 10 years ago, but it's starting immediately afterwards. So, it's, I mean, it's an interesting choice. I'm, I'm really excited about this movie. Curious. Uh, another movie I'm really excited about uh, that uh, I don't know if I should be excited about, but I am, is <laughs> Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, it comes out. June 22nd. I mean, there's not a lot to say about Jurassic World, except you're either into the dinosaurs and the silliness or you're not. I mean, the I just, I love how the two trailers that have come out, the first one is like, okay, the island's gonna erupt. It's a volcano. We gotta go and save the dinosaurs for some reason. And then the second trailer comes out and they're like, yeah, there's a there's a volcano, but it's really more about genetically modifying the dinosaurs and capturing them so we can make we can make an army of dinosaurs to destroy other people. And there's dinosaurs going into houses, and Blue is running around. And he's the friend of Chris Pratt. It's gonna be awesome. And so, <laughs> I just feel like they're embracing the silliness, and um, I could I'm into that. So I'm choosing to be excited about it. I'm I'm honestly I'm just really excited to see what happens. Like I just I. I don't even know. I don't have any expectations. I probably even have like slightly negative expectations of the movie. 
but I'm just really curious to see what happens. Like, this movie looks so ridiculous. I'm yeah. going to go just to see what happens. Well, one thing that's interesting, though, is that the the director, I mean, you could say he's a better director than, than the guy who did the first Jurassic World movie. I mean, what was the guy's name? Uh, I mean, I will say he's Colin, a better director. Colin yeah, Trevorrow. Yeah, so Colin Trevorrow did the first one. There's are both the a really indie directors. Name is, Right. I mean, they take these indie directors and give them a full franchise. And this guy's J.A. Bayoa, and he did a Monster Calls and The Impossible. I mean, honestly, I haven't seen either of those movies, but they're they're pretty serious movies. I mean, The Impossible is the one with Naomi Watts with the with the tidal wave, and it, I mean, it's it, a it, The Impossible a shockingly drama. worked for a low budget movie about a tsunami. Like, I don't know how they pulled that off. And a Monster Calls is crazy creative. Like. That movie's unlike anything else. Uh, it's pretty interesting that this guy got <laughs> to do a Jurassic World film. Yeah, so I mean, I'm hoping it's just a qual. Even though it's ridiculous, I'm hoping it's a quality movie, and people just go see it a bunch, and it overtops the Avengers, and I win the <laughs> summer movie wager. It could happen. It could happen. Uh, Probably not. Uh, so the last movie we're all really excited to see is Sicario: Day of the Soldado. This movie comes out at the end of the month, June 29th. Actually, it may or may not be in our next review. That is pretty late in the month for June. We'll see, though. Yeah. Um, but uh, the one exciting thing about this movie, even though they're switching directors and cinematographers, Roger Deakins will not be there, and Dennis Villeneuve will not be directing it, um, it still has Tyler Sheridan, um, who is the writer of the film. Uh, he did the first Sicario, which was his first script, and so he's definitely like continuing on um, his storyline he wants to tell. He also went on to write Hell or High Water, which was a great film, and also last year's Wind River, which was another really great film. Kind of is getting a knack for writing these like kind of mid-level indie scripts that end up um, being amazing. And... This one doesn't has another no-name director to it, but so did Hell or High Water and Wind River. So maybe with the strong script, they can pull off a really solid action movie again or suspense action movie. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in it, definitely, but I'm also kind of I'm cautiously interested because I'm like, I feel like the first one ended on such a solid note it was like and even just them announcing there's going to be a sequel i was like do they need to have a sequel and uh, i mean yeah. i'm i'm curious so it's just this writer is flawlessly three for three though so it's it's i'm really curious if he can just keep going with it right um totally i mean i'm i'm interested too so with that um i think we should wrap it up um derek i just realized um like i don't know uh I don't know. Are you gonna Are you gonna be on the next episode with us? Like, uh, I can't remember I when. We'll see, I mean, when, I I definitely will have a baby next time we record. Right. When When is Christina due? Exactly. I mean, we don't know exactly, but like, when does she do? <laughs> the twenty first. So the day before yeah. Jurassic World comes out. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. So. Yeah, we're I, I, we're gonna buy tickets for Incredibles two really soon. I'm not sure that we'll be able to go to the movie, but right, yeah, we'll see. 
Um, well, we're hoping I mean, we're hoping that's our last movie we get to go see in theaters together. From, from what Forever. I under- <laughs> <laughs> from what I understand, like you know, once you have a baby, you know, it's it's all it's all consuming for those first few weeks at least. Like yeah, you're you're gonna be crazy for those first few weeks. So I mean, if you're not here, if you're not able to record, you know, no no worries, no hard feelings. So right. <laughs> um, all right. I'm just Snake excited Sean. for you guys to have a baby. Yeah. And um, cool. So um, with that, uh, Brandon, where can people find you online? You can find me at Letterbox at Beb, and uh, at Instagram, Brandon underscore Bulby. Derek, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Mixer, and Letterbox at Chicken Tech. Go see Solo. Is that like your hashtag, or is that all <laughs> part of your your chicken tag name? God, I just want people to see it and give it a chance. It's okay. I mean, it's a Star Wars movie. I think people are <laughs> giving I hope it. So. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, I'm Nick Moffat. I'm on Twitter, and uh, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd uh, at Mothman23. So um, anyway, uh, that's our May episode, and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.